and welcome to the very first episode of Run Rabbit Run. My name is Kale Davis, and the other co-host is... I'm David S. Dawson from The Intellectuals. So, me and my uncle are really excited for this podcast, and we think we should start off with the classic rock album that me and my uncle and the rest of the world are probably most familiar with, Dark Side of Moon. Dark Side of Moon is the eighth studio album from my personal favorite band, Pink Floyd. Uh, If you don't know Pink Floyd, here's a quick rundown of who they are. Pink Floyd is a psychedelic and progressive rock band formed in 1965 and primarily consisted of keyboardist Richard Wright, singer and bassist Roger Waters. My personal favorite. And singer and guitarist David Gilmour, my personal favorite and drummer Nick Mason. Together they make up what was primarily the Pink Floyd lineup for the majority of its run, although original founding member Sid Barrett is very fondly remembered by fans of the band. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of Sid's uh, story kind of influenced the band as they moved forward. As well as Richard Wright and Roger Waters uh, leaving the band. However, Richard Wright died close to their Endless River release. And so, the album Dark Side of Moon was primarily developed from live performances. The album was recorded in two sessions from 1972 to 1973 in Abbey Road Studios. Which uh, will cover the album Abbey Road in our next episode. Well, that's right, Uncle Bubba. The critical reception of this album was phenomenal, even back then. Uh, The record reached number one on the U.S. Billboard top LPs and tapes and charted for over 900 weeks in total. It's also the first Pink Floyd album to break the top 40 in the U.S. Uh, The commercial success of the album is, is also great, selling over 45 million copies worldwide. It spent like over 930 weeks in the top 200. Oh, that's, that's a long, that's a lot of weeks, like years. It probably still was there, like after Wish You Were Here and Animals released, which yeah, is well, a long time. Yeah, well, nine hundred thirty-seven weeks. It's something. It's something like fourteen or fifteen years. Oh god! Oh, that the album stayed in the in the top two hundred. <laughs> kind of a phenomenal run, really. Well, that's an understatement. It has been one of the most yeah. influential albums of all time. I actually brought three adjectives to describe this album. Blending, brooding, and blazy. Uh, did, did you bring uh, three adjectives, uh, David? I did not bring three adjectives, but I'm curious what you mean by blazy. Blazy as in, like, energetic. It seems, like, a little angry at times. Mm, uh, should we, interesting. Should, Should we get into the round table? I think we should. First track on the album is Speak to Me. Do you have anything to say about this song? I think it's really important to understand that the album starts with the heartbeat. Yes. Um, Uh, Yeah, I think it adds a lot to the conception. Yeah, the concept of, and this really was kind of like a concept album um, from Pink Floyd. And the heartbeat really kind of sets the tone because this song is really all about life and how the kind of doldrums of life can lead you into madness and starting it with a heartbeat is uh i think a great way to kind of 
center the listener in and set the tone for where they need to be, which is introspective, focusing on the inside. I agree. I agree with you there. Uh, if you didn't know, there are actually lyrics of this song. And let me tell you, it's something. The, the lyrics in this song, if you want to call them lyrics, um, they're not really lyrics so much. Uh, what happened is Roger Waters set up a microphone at the studio and wrote uh, a series of questions on a, on a couple of cards that were on a music stand in front of the mic. And the band invited people who were at the studio to come in and answer those questions. And then they sampled responses to use in the album. So the lyrics in this are, are quotes. So, yeah, uh, the ex- examples of these questions are, uh, when was the last time you were ever violent for something? And if so, were you in the right? Are you afraid of death? Uh, some morbid questions like these. So the lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, if you can, well, like David said, if you can call it that, is this. I've been mad for uh, F-word years. I'll say it okay. since you can't. Okay. Says, I've been mad for fucking years, absolute years, been over the edge for yonks, been working me buns off for bands. I've always been mad. I know I've been mad, like the most of us here. Very hard to explain why you're mad, even if you aren't mad. Uh, then ends with a maniacal laugh soundbite, which is wonderful. So this uh, still actually helps us in the concept of this album, which I'll get to in the end, in that he's not mad as, as in, I'm, I'm ticked off, like, I'm angry. It's mad as in, say, a mad scientist. Yes, it's, it's mad as in uh, you're going crazy. And I think anybody insane. who has lived any amount of life can kind of understand that. I don't think it's, it's not really insane. It's a subtler version of that. Uh, people go crazy with daily life. Daily life makes you feel just ugh, pent up and frustrated and, and mad. It's yeah. not angry. It's just mad. It m- makes you manic. It makes you frustrated and anxious and all that stuff. And it's so, so beautifully succinct in the, in the quotes in this opening song. So, but let's move on to the next track. Breathe in the air. What do you think about it, Kel? I think the song is about how someone is born and they're taking their first breaths. The, the, the lyrics support this uh, quite well. The, so I'm, I'm quoting the lyrics. These, uh, these are actually some of my favorite lyrics in Pink Floyd. These lyrics right here. This is also where the title of the podcast comes from. Like one of the lyrics in the song. That's true. You want to so, read these lyrics? Uh, yeah, I mean, you read the lyrics uh, on the last track, so I'll do it. Breathe. Breathe in the air. Don't be afraid to care. Leave, but don't leave me. Look around. Choose your own ground. For lawn you'll live, and how you fly. And smiles you'll give, and tears you'll cry. And all your touch, and all you see, is all your life will ever be. See, I think... Uh... I, I, I like how you say someone's born and they're taking their first breaths. That's, that's what you read into this. Um, and, and I think this is where it's going to be really interesting doing this podcast with you, Kale, because you're what? 11. Uh, yes, I am. Right. You're correct. Yeah. And I'm 44. I'll be 45 <laughs> in May. We have a huge amount of distance between us in our lives. 
Mm-hmm. So your perception of the songs will be very different from mine. And I think that's going to be really fun to explore. So for me, that would be fun to explore. Um, yeah. So for me, these lyrics, yes, breathe, breathe in the air. Don't be afraid to care. I could see how you could take that as someone taking their first breaths. But for me, what I read that more is, is it's kind of like a mantra for breathe, breathe in the air. One of the things you always tell somebody who's kind of panicky and, and feeling overcome with too much emotion is to just breathe, breathe, right? Uh, don't be afraid to care. And then one of the things we, we experience as we're older is this fear of loss and this fear of people letting us down. And, and, and if we're in a relationship, we're afraid of a person uh, breaking up with us. Leave, but don't leave me. Um, look around, choose your own ground. Uh, that to me is like stand up, stand tall, stake your claim on your own space. And then for long you live and high you fly, smiles you give, tears you'll cry, all your touch and all you see is all your life will ever be. That's such a beautiful, poetic accompaniment of life itself. Um, right? I, you have highs, you have lows, you'll smile, you'll cry, you have, you have high moments, you have low moments, sad moments, cheerful moments. It's beautiful how succinct this, this little bit of this song kind of tells the story of life. Really cool. I, I uh, agree with you there. And I, I can see w- how the way you read into the song, how someone is panicking. That is a way to interpret it. And and I want mm-hmm. to say, just want to say this little factoid real quick. Um, the very first line, mm-hmm. breathe, breathe in the air, is supposed to be taken like fr- uh, from a documentary that Roger Waters actually collaborated with. And that was supposed to be a song for that documentary called Breathe. So, yeah, that's just a little interesting fact. I think the track has nice sounds as well as a beautiful vocal performance from David Gilmore. However, I do think there are problems with the song. There are some keyboard choices uh, I don't really like. Like the keyboard squish that goes like, wow, wow, it kind of echoes. It kind of takes you out of sort of a deep, calming mood, which I don't like. And so, anyways, I think one of the things you have to analyze, and this is one of the things about music, is sometimes things that sound out of place are on purpose by the musician to invoke Mm -hmm. a certain kind of feeling. Now, if we're establishing this as a song about life and the ups and downs and the kind of turmoils of life that cause you to need to have a mantra to try and relax and stuff. Do you think it's possible that some of the keyboard choices are designed to make you feel unsettled? Mm, yes and because, no. Because that's what happens in life is you have things that in- interject and, and disrupt your kind of calm. So it's just something uh, you should think about next time you listen to it. Yeah, I just... I mean, I'm just a little, I'm just a little kid. I can't really make really deep, very, very conceptual music. Like I can't even, I can't even, when I try to write poems, I, I just get kind of unoriginal. So I'm a very <laughs> unoriginal person in a way. So I don't really have a reason for scenes that I say. Yeah. But part of the way you get to being more thoughtful on things, Kale, is to 
listen to what other people think and what they have to say, uh, interpret what they're saying, and then, uh, you know, go back and listen to the things that you were listening to before and, and see if you can see what they're trying to tell you. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but that that's part of how, yeah, that's part of how you'll, you'll grow your own appreciation for stuff. People tell me stuff about this album all the time that I don't, didn't know before. And I love it. I love hearing how other people interpret it. You know, it's, it's really cool. That's one of the beautiful things about music is everybody has their own, their own place, you know, their own place what they like, how, how, how a song affects them. Yeah. Music is the most, arguably the most subjective thing ever. In my opinion, uh, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? And so, and I'm not saying that that you not liking that keyboard piece is a is a bad way to be either. Like, if you don't like that keyboard choice, exactly. Hey, that's that's your deal. But I would just suggest that the next time you listen to the song, try and see, try and interpret that music uh, in terms of the story of the song. Like, why would they go there with the keyboards? Why would they go there with the synthesizers? What are the choices they're making and why are they making it? They might help you kind of understand and maybe appreciate it in a different way. Uh-huh. That is true. So, cool. Let's, let's move on to the next one. On the Run, the third track on the album. This track is really interesting to me as it's one of two instrumental tracks on this album. It's done entirely on an EMS synthesizer with little vocal bits uh, here and there. I watched the uh, Dark Side of the Moon 2003 documentary before this that uh, Uncle Bubba sent to me. And I found out that the original like melody and tune was uh, supposed to be for just another guitar-driven song. So they made like a guitar recording loop. And then they just sped it up, and that's how you get the uh, sort of tune. It's an interesting thing, Kale, too, because since we're going to be diving into these classic rock albums, too, it's interesting to kind of, you have to understand a little bit, too, where things were at in the music business at the time, as opposed to where they are now. Like, all music now is done with computers to create loops and you can do all sorts of really interesting things with music. When these guys were making this album, synthesizers were still fairly new <laughs> and looping music was a trick that they were doing. Uh, looping sounds was a trick they were doing. Uh, sampling sounds and then speeding them up and turning them into loops was, it was all experimental. Um, and it was about trying to find new sounds. Bands were trying to find new sounds, new ways of presenting music that you'd never heard before. And this and then song the 80s came. in particular is very heavy on that. And then the 80s came and then everyone. We'll get into the 80s later. We'll get into the 80s later. That's a whole different that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> we'll get in we'll get into Rush uh, synthesizer period in, in another day. Yeah. <laughs> but um but what I like about this song is you have you ever heard the term the rat race? Uh, I have, but I don't know what it means. Okay, so it's often a, a term referred to like work, like you, you, you get into the rat race and you're, you're, you're turning away, you're running really fast and you're running with all the other rats and you're, you're racing to some common goal, 
some some goal together and it's if you imagine a million rats like running together it's it's frantic it's panicky it's kind of like a sickening thought um this song for me is like that rat race like the man chasing a goal and time is 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 the pressure of times on it and in the course of this song it's you hear uh like airplane uh airport announcements like you're you're running late to catch your plane and you know you got to rush to get there but like there's always little things in life that get in the way and and you feel like you're in a panic trying to get where you need to go on time and if you're not going to be on time then everything's going to fall apart and that's what this song does a really interesting job of conveying without really having real lyrics in it yeah there are there are two kind of tidbits of lyrics on the song the first thing is uh the airport announcement saying leaving a flight for uh rome and cairo and and another tidbit Mm -hmm. uh where where a guy is saying here today gone tomorrow that's me Like, that's actually how it goes, like, including with that laugh. Um, and it's interesting to note, too, like, a lot of this was written because the band was really popular at the time, and they were on tour constantly. And so they were flying all over the world all the time. And Richard Wright was scared of flying. <laughs> so, like, the pressures of all that are part of what motivated this whole album, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you see, Richard Wright uh, said that it deals with the fears of travel and the fear of death because of the travel. Because, you know, a plane crash can happen at any time. Like, it it, it can just happen. Uh, and which also re- symbolizes mm-hmm. the crash at the end of the song. Now, now, just because they wrote it on that topic, I think it still translates over to, to a normal person's life, like trying to catch the cab, trying to catch their train to work trying to get the bus, trying to drive their car where they're going. You know, the soccer mom who's desperately trying to get her kids to practice on time <laughs> feels the same panic, <laughs> you know? Um, and oftentimes when you're overwhelmed like that, you feel like when you finally get to the end of the day, you just kind of crash into the end of your day. And I think that's one of the cool things about this album is it, it fits in to so many themes regardless of what it was originally written for, you can interpret it to kind of be familiar to whatever your daily life is like. It's a really, really interesting uh, trick and feat that uh, Pink Floyd pulled off. Uh, Yeah, I do agree with you. And I do really think that it has some cool sounds. I really like the sort of, brooding tone which goes back goes back to my adjective that i put in there sort of like mm-hmm. it's kind of pessimistic in a way i i wouldn't really call it that I, this whole album seems a little pessimistic it's moody yes the album's moody <laughs> it, yeah oh that's the word that's the word thank you thank you kind of like your uncle bubba <laughs> Other other than the fact that it has cool sounds as well as the interpretations that me and Uncle Bubba both uh, created, I there's not really much else to say here. Like when, however, yeah. when I first listened to this track, like 
when I was just a small little boy, a small little boy, and I when I thought when I thought on the run, I thought, hey, is this song gonna be about a criminal? And and then I listened to it. And I was like, what? That was my reaction. <laughs> yeah. But do you think, is there enough time to review time? Well, yes, of course. Let's do it. Uh, I love time <laughs> because it's super experimental um, with the way the clocks go. And one of the things that Pink Floyd did really well in this album was integrating the sounds of life, like everyday life. And what was more everyday life than the ticking of the clock? Right, we we're we're always right. feeling the pressure of time. Yeah, yes, that is correct. Um, you see, going into the song, it starts out with a bunch of very loud clock sounds that actually made me t- uh, took took my headphones off on the first listen. That was originally supposed to be a quadraphonics test. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I I think this is true uh, am i is it is am i right well pink floyd uh was one of the big proponents of quadraphonic sound and if you don't know what quadraphonic sound is it's it's essentially surround sound um and they were doing surround sound uh pink floyd was doing surround sound in their concerts even yeah um, surround sound so, was prevalent even in their debut which is pretty impressive yeah, they, they, that's one of the things about Pink Floyd is they were always pushing the kind of technological envelope uh, to explore what they could do with their music. Um, and, and trying to create three-dimensional sound was something David Gilmore really, really uh, loved to uh, experiment with. Uh, yes, I do agree with you. We're kind of eye-to-eye on most of these opinions. Um, the lyrics have a tone that is really powerful and overwhelming to the new listener, but I was small. I didn't understand anything, so it didn't, it didn't suscept me to the symptoms of the lyrics, which I'll get into now. The lyrics have been known to have a symptom of crying on any new listener as they are being open to great, pure emotion. As It is very relatable. On how there is limited time. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, when you listened to it a couple of years ago when you were first exposed to Pink Floyd and you were really young, and you're still you're still pretty young. Um, this is one yeah, of those songs. I'm seven too, years still adult. Yeah, this is one of those songs too, Kale. That like the older you get, the more you appreciate it, and it. And and really, this entire album. And I appreciate this a whole lot. So yeah, every time you revisit yeah, this I album, appreciate this more. Every time you revisit this album, you're gonna have something new that you discover in it, because as your own life experience grows and changes, this album takes on new meanings and new feelings for you every time you go. It's a very cool album that way. So, so when you get older, you relate to it more. Yeah. Because it's about life. So the more life you've lived, the more it, it resonates with you. So 
You've got that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> and so after the very loud clock sounds, it, go- it then goes into a heavy sort of interlude, like with with uh, synthesizer sounds and just and drums and it's not much else to say here. It kind of feels. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know the word. Hmm. Uh, I think it. It sounds. It sounds the opposite of blazy. One of the adjectives I put. It's the opposite of blazy. Yes. Sort of like calm, but foreboding. There we go. That's the word. Foreboding. Ominous in a in a way. This time has one of the best uh, sets of lyrics um, that I really. So so there's there's a bit where it slows down, right? And the lines are tired mm-hmm. of lying yes. in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain, which sounds really peaceful, right? Um, you are young, uh-huh. and life is long, which is you. And there is time to kill today. Yes, you got all yeah. the time in the world. So that's saying like when you're a little kid, you have time to play. You do recess. You, you play on the weekends with your friends. And tomorrow is just this kind of like ethereal thing that is going to happen. No big deal. Right. Then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And it's a it's an interesting thing because Life. I love that lyric. Yeah, life happens, and suddenly you're old, (laughs) and you look back and you go, "What did I do with all my time? Where did it all go?" Exactly. And oh my gosh, it it happens to me in a way. Yeah, it happens to me sometimes. It gets worse and worse the older you get because, on top of being able to look behind you and wondering what's happened to the time behind. You start becoming more and more aware that you've got less and less of it ahead of you too. It's a really interesting, interesting lyric. And another lyric that I want to bring up is the sun is same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Yep, which is getting back to what I'm saying. The older you get, the more you're aware that you're getting closer and closer to that last breath. Yeah, I love the lyrics in this in these songs. They're they're so poetic. Yeah, kind of like kind of like the breathing the air. Yep. It actually, which it so speaking of breathing the air, there's actually a callback to uh, that song, which I think I interpret that as the as the character, the cadle, the person that was born in breathing the air. Kind of like trying to has a feeling of nostalgia. I can see that. Yeah. And so it it's really it's it's a song where you have to really dig into it to truly truly appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, I can agree. I bet he was a rock star, though. You know why? Why? He got the great gig in the sky, of course. <laughs> so, great gig in the sky. Now, I, I want to make a point to you here, okay? So, you live in a world of downloaded music, right? 
that's pretty much how yeah like everything's for free yeah your generation listens to music on youtube and and itunes and google play spotify but if we go back to the like i i I use spotify as a platform to listen to music okay so if we go back and think about the 1970s when this album came out uh albums were predominantly distributed on vinyl right the big plastic circular discs and yeah with the grooves yeah and one of the things you have to understand literally and physically is if you want to listen to an entire album you actually had to get up halfway through it and flip it over <laughs> and start yes side one side on two side. yeah so great gig in the sky is one of sort those, of like a vhs tape uh no you didn't have to you didn't have to do that with a vhs tape you didn't have to like add another vhs tape to watch your movie you could watch your movie all the way through. Oh, okay. So when you're watching, uh, okay. when you're listening to music on a record, <laughs> you could only ever listen to one side at a time, right? So oftentimes yeah. uh, on albums, the kind of middle two tracks are actually an ending track and a starting track to what was the A side and the B side. And great gig in the sky is in yeah. This is the this is the last song to the A side. This is the yeah, last song for the A side. This is the last A side track, <laughs> and it's epic. It's big, you know, and it's and epic. it's you know they call it the great gig in the sky. It's a big epic song uh, with you know uh, you know just a lot of just a lot of really good music. <laughs> Okay, I do agree with you there. I think this song is the epitome of what this album is. It has all of my three adjectives. Yeah. It's brooding. It's blazy. I forgot the first adjective. <laughs> uh, your, first, your first adjective was blending. And that's more into like side B. So it has a sad, brooding tone. It has psychedelic choices. It's energetic. It's blazy. It has a woman screaming. It has it all. <laughs> the the interview excerpt uh, from the song uh, in the uh, build up to the blazy part is a guy is a guy answering the question, "Are you afraid of death?" And and to where he answers, "I'm not afraid of death. Any time will do." I don't mind if if I I don't I don't mind that and that it's inevitable mm-hmm. which that is pretty dark and then is it dark I, I, I so, can see how I can see how it at 12 I, I 11 or 12 see, years old you think it's dark I can see that I don't view it as dark Kale. um again this is one of those yeah, things uh, as you get older thought as you get older <laughs> Um, very often death becomes just a reality, right? Um, I've, yeah, uh, I've yeah, buried on both my parents. death is just a part of life. Yeah, I've buried both my parents. I've buried a dozen or more friends and, and close relatives. And it's just it's just an accepted part of life. Um, so the, the, the quote from yes. the guy who, in this song that says, you know, uh, I'm not afraid of dying. Any time will do. I don't mind. That's the voice of a mature uh, person who's lived a life and understands that there's no point in being afraid because we're all going to do it. (laughs) There's only two things we're guaranteed in life, being born and dying. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 the only th- it's the only thing that happens once in mm-hmm. a lifetime, being born. And, and then, uh, and then, we, and then you have Claire Tory's uh, lyrics in this. You know, her 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 wailing, the the lady screaming. Um, yeah, which which, which I was beautiful. doing with the alone time. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it feels to me like like that's the spirit letting go of of everything. You know, like and and being free. You know, so yeah. I- in the band has stated that the lyrics, if you can even call it that, uh, it means sort of a gradual rise and decline from life to death. Mm-hmm. Yep. The whole first side of this album is very much that kind of story of like starting and living and then the end. Like you get a lot of that kind of over and over again in these songs. Yeah, and actually the lyrics, uh, I actually put this in a script for some reason. It's one of the biggest m- memes of the modern Pink Floyd community. Oh, oh, really? Like, it just, like, they replace the lyrics with, with, like, another stock scream. And then, boom, you got, you got, you make people laugh. Okay. <laughs> so, with the end of Great Gig in the Sky, we're at the end of Side A of Dark Side of the Moon. And in our next episode, Kale and I are going to explore the second side of Dark Side of the Moon and uh, all of the myriad of musical colors that that entails. How's that sound to you, Kale? That sounds nice. So this is Kale Davis. And and your Uncle Bubba, David Dawson. <laughs> we will see you on the flip side of Run, Rabbit, Run.